and welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. My name is Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this episode of the podcast, number 226. When a recycler who claims they were going to domestically recycle these materials in the United States, ship it offshore in containers, the buyers and the highest bidders are no longer always people who want to retrieve the precious metals. Typically now, it's people who want to buy the electronics, pull out the hard drives and any information they can, reverse engineer all the information that's contained therein. And as these folks told us, because they were the FBI and Homeland Security Division of the FBI, they said, in many instances, these people have adverse interests to our Homeland Security safety in the United States. On Tuesday this week, Apple introduced the next version of its popular smartphone, the iPhone 13. It's one of several announcements the company made during a virtual event at its headquarters in Cupertino, California, including a revamped iPad and iPad mini, as well as new Apple Watch Series 7. That's great news for Apple fans, but bad news for the environment. New devices, after all, mean a wave of upgrades as users jettison perfectly usable hardware for the latest and greatest technology. Their old hardware may find a new owner in the secondary market, but much of it will become part of the world's massive river of e-waste, along with discarded television sets, printers, video game consoles, home appliances, and more. Globally, an estimated 59 million tons of used electronics head to the landfill each year. E-waste has become one of the fastest growing waste streams in the world, and it is expected to continue growing at around 3 to 4% annually, according to data from USPIRG, the Public Interest Research Group. Unfortunately, e-waste is both difficult to recycle and exceptionally harmful to the environment. It accounts for less than 2% of the world's waste stream by volume, but causes over 70% of the waste stream's harmful and toxic environmental effects. But there's another less talked about consequence of our e-waste problem, data leaks and data theft. Simply put, electronic devices like laptops, smartphones, printers, and tablets store sensitive data, including personally identifying information and proprietary corporate data. Too often, that data is not properly removed from the device prior to it being recycled. In the wrong hands, It can pose a huge risk to the cybersecurity of individuals and private and public sector organizations. In this episode of the podcast, we're joined by someone who is up close and personal with the e-waste problem. John Chagarian is the chairman and CEO of ERI, Electronics Recycling International, one of the U.S.'s largest recyclers of electronics. And he's written a new book, The Insecurity of Everything, In this conversation, John and I talk about the growing e-waste problem in the country, a problem that is exacerbated by a lack of federal leadership on electronics recycling. And we talk about how foreign nations opposed to the U.S. have taken an interest in data stored on discarded electronics. It's John Shigarian. I'm the co-founder, chairman, and um, CEO of ERI, Electronic Recyclers International. John, we have you on the show because you are the author of a book that just came out that I was saying to you is at the nexus of two of the most important topics in my life right now, one of which is cybersecurity and the other of which is repair, recycling, you know, the circular economy. And and you wrote this, co-wrote this book, uh, The Insecurity of Everything, How Hardware Data Security is Becoming the Most Important Topic in the World. 
So, I mean, I think when people think about recycling, you know, I think a lot of people have this sort of the mental image of like the, the auto graveyard, right? Where you, you, yeah. have, you know, you harvest every, every serviceable part out of the, out of the car and, and, uh, and then you can maybe crush the body and, and, you know, recycle the metal or something like that. Um, but with electronics, obviously, um, you can't really do that because of the way they're made and because the, the components are, are really too small and fragile to, to harvest. Um, so what is it? What do you do? I mean, what is what is electronics recycling really consist of? We do one of three things or a couple of these things, depending on what the contract states. We have created proprietarily the world's great largest shredders. Uh, for electronics. And again, there was nothing that existed. Like you said, the car industry was very mature in terms of recycling. And you did a great job of uh, outlaying how that industry really works and still works today and still works well in terms of shredding the carcasses and harvesting parts, etc. E-waste is not that unlike that, but it's a little bit more tricky in that when you go to the Consumer Electronics Show every year or read about it, approximately, give or take, 22,000 new new SKUs come out every year. And that's without Samsung's and Apple's own announcements of their new products. So what you have is because we're such an innovation nation, um, the, 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 the ubiquity of electronics and the speed of the evolution of them has been massive. And you can't automate, fully automate the recycling of electronics. So what we do with it, it comes in and people, human beings have to touch and feel each electronic that comes in and see which way it has to go. Does it have to go to destruction to be shred or is there glass in it? Does the glass have to be removed first or is it coming in under a repair model where it needs to be, the data needs to be wiped under uh, uh, the seven wipe DOD system and the NIST standards, and then it can be refixed repackaged and resold. So either we, we either fix, repackage and resell the old electronics or uh, we destroy uh, the old electronics and what we call commoditize them. And that's pretty much how responsible recycling happens. But here's mm-hmm. a great little secret, Paul, that, that most people and mainstream media hasn't even covered yet. So first month of our business, we recycled, ten, uh, give or take, about 10,000 pounds. Last month, in our now 10 locations in eight states, and we cover every zip code, and we have a big location in Europe, and, in, 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 of course, not far from you in Holliston, Massachusetts, um, we recycled a little over 15 million pounds of electronics. And here's the funny part of the story and an, a very important part of the story. When done the right way, when done responsibly, e-waste recycling is a zero waste, zero landfill, zero emission business. And what that truly means is, though, that 15 million pounds zeroes out at the end of the month. None of it went to a landfill. So the stuff that got recycled and retested and resold and data wiped, that got went back to secondary and tertiary markets that have a tremendous hunger for old for our old electronics on this planet and that 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 went to great markets for reuse the stuff that got commoditized in order of volume it becomes shredded and clean glass shredded and clean steel plastic 
aluminum, copper, gold, silver, lead, palladium. All those materials got sold to smelters for beneficial reuse. Mm -hmm. So it's a great story when done responsibly and correctly. And obviously, we've all read the stories about the sort of irresponsible electronics recycling that it happens, thankfully, not in the United States, but, but definitely in China and, and Africa and other uh, developing countries, uh, often involving people doing this by hand and, and yes. exposing themselves uh, to, to uh, dangerous chemicals and obviously also polluting the environment. Um, we are a little bit guilty and part of that ecosystem. So even though we have 25 states now with e-waste bans from landfills, we still have 25 states that you're allowed to landfill this. That's bad. Most of the time, good government or good corporations transcend the ability to landfill this now in the United States. And they do keep this material above ground and get them to responsible recyclers. Unfortunately, there's still a black market of electronics that are getting picked up by quote unquote recyclers who say they're going to do the right thing, who then put this stuff in containers and ship it off our shores to India, Africa, or China, as you point out. At first, this created, as you said, environmental harms because they don't have the right tools or materials to recycle these materials in those countries. They would, for instance, they would burn the carcass, the plastic carcass to get to the precious metals. And that would, of course, create environmental degradation that's bad for everyone. Secondarily, children sometimes in many countries would be co-opted into the process of recycling old electronics. And again, they would be harmed by the environmental harms that are being done. Plus, human rights violations were being done just by the mere fact that children were pulled into this. But I do want to get to a very interesting subtlety that goes to the heart of the matter of uh, data security. We were approached years ago by the FBI and Homeland Security, who happened to be in our building in Fresno, California. They happened to have an office here and they came to visit with us. And here's what they told us. They said that historically, when this stuff, old electronics were shipped off our shores, the people that were purchasing it by a container were wanting to extract the precious metals. And this was going on in Hong Kong and other parts of China, India and Africa and other emerging economies. Now, they said, when a recycler who claims they were going to domestically recycle these materials in the United States, ship it offshore in containers, the buyers and the highest bidders are no longer always people who want to retrieve the precious metals. Typically now, it's people who want to buy the electronics, pull out the hard drives and any information they can, reverse engineer all the information that's contained therein. And as these folks told us, because they were the FBI and Homeland Security Division of the FBI, they said, in many instances, these people have adverse interests to our Homeland Security safety in the United States. Wow. So this is a this is an organized program of harvesting of this data just um, yeah. from uh, the waste stream, basically. Yes. From the from the like dumpster diving, but uh, but yeah. at a massive scale on a big scale. And it's still going on. There are still bad actors that sell like in any other industry. There's bad actors and they still sell our old electronics off of our shores. And the highest bidders no longer just want the gold or the silver. They actually now want our homeland security issue secrets. 
one of the issues here, it seems to me, is that we actually don't have a federal recycling and reuse policy for anything, really. Uh, it's all state-based. And, and like you said, electronics, you know, some states have specific laws about electronics and e-waste recycling, others don't. One thing to ask is, are there other countries there? Are there com- other countries in the world that do a better job of this, both just recycling in general and particularly e-waste? Yeah, I mean, typically, Europe and smaller geographic areas in Asia, such as South Korea, Japan, and of course Europe, which are again geographically challenged as well in terms of size. They've been on to this circular economy sustainability revolution, generationally speaking. Paul, there they go back 30, 40, 50 years doing the green thing, doing the recycling thing, putting materials back in and, and living a circular economy life instead of a linear economy life. We've been behind, not because we're purposefully malicious as, as North America goes, but because of our land, the flexibility and the luxury of our land mass. We are able to say, hey, you know, let's use it once and just dig another landfill. And, you know, we're the, you know, let's, we're bigger's better. Let's throw it out. We're now, just now, Paul, has this ESG circular economy revolution really set in in America and really getting permanent traction, both from an institutional investment standpoint and from an actionable standpoint. But you're absolutely right. Unfortunately, we don't have any national recycling policies around three of the greatest volumes that are created. E-waste is not only the fastest growing solid waste stream. You know, I gave those big numbers, our bookend numbers to you at the beginning of the show. 10,000 pounds, April of 05, we recycled last month, a little bit more than 15 million pounds. That sounds all, all wonderful, Paul, but here's the sad story behind it. According to the United Nations, only 17% of all all electronics that are used on the planet are responsibly recycled, 17%. And in those 18 years that we've been in business, e-waste went from the fastest growing solid waste stream in the planet to now the fastest growing solid waste stream by an order of magnitude of five times. So we've now pulled away in terms of the second fastest growing solid waste stream is plastic. Think about this, what's happened. Cars, EVs have become computers on wheels and they have hard drives and they contain our data. I never dreamed that Tesla would be a client of ours and they are. Uh, the ubiquity of electronics, the internet of things. Think about the wearables and the, and the echoes and the, and the ring and the nest. It's nuts. And then think about the 4G to 5G turnover and eventually 6G creating fast turnover. So we have that going on. But the federal government, to go back to your to what you said, they don't have any real federal regulation around food recycling, textile recycling, and electronic recycling. And those are the three biggest uh, opportunities to tackle for the next generation of circular economy entrepreneurs. There's so much to do in those three areas to help take us from a linear to circular economy. There is nothing like it on a federal level. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, needs to be. Um, so, talk just a little bit right now. You know, and, you know, as we are today, as as things are today. You know, ERI. You know, wh- where do you obtain 
um, the tons of electronics that you recycle from? Is it, is it mostly from businesses or from municipalities or consumers directly? And, you know, for the data that is almost certainly on the devices you obtain, um, what do you do? Like, do you engage in um, wiping of, uh, and reuse of those components like hard drives, or is it pretty much just feed them into the cruncher and crunch them? Uh, well, it's a lot to do with the client. So the client dictates how the material's handled. The, the material could be nearly brand new, but the clients could say they're all must destroy and must destroy means must destroy and they pay for that. Uh, the client could say, hey, this stuff is semi-new, semi-used, lightly used. Le uh, you wipe it under the seven, uh, uh, seven wipe DOD system, the NIST standards, the NADE standards, and, um, and then uh, uh, refix. Re repackage, retest, and resell these, and let's do a profit share. So it that it really is dictated by the clients, and the clients are are so variable. We'll start in your great state of Massachusetts. One of our biggest and first clients uh, back goes back to 2009 with Staples. Staples was one of our biggest, and we handle all of their corporate material. We handle all their returns and all their drop-offs in their stores. Same thing goes for Best Buy. Same thing goes for Target, Walmart. Costco and Amazon. So those are, and they're, and they all are retailers. They're all very different culturally and have different requests and different uh, standard operating procedures, but they touch millions upon millions of people. So they're able to really move the needle and they're all really into sustainability and circular economy behavior. But then you have great universities like Harvard. Harvard's been a client for years. City of Boston's been a client. City of New York's been a client uh, for years. City of LA and 500 cities and municipalities across America. Um, the OEMs are all clients uh, from Samsung and LG to about 75 other OEMs. And uh, the same thing goes for uh, the, the defense industry companies, Raytheon in Massachusetts. Raytheon's been a client of ours 10 years and it's growing every year because of the data, because of the protection we have to do to protect our, 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 our defense secrets and our, and our defense industry uh, and profile. Department of Homeland Security, we've destroyed their assets for years. So it, it, it could be the man or the woman on the street that just drops off at one of our facilities or drops off at a local Best Buy or Staples or Costco, or it could be uh, as, as big as Department of Homeland Security or City of Boston or City of New York. You in the book you mentioned you know one of the other issues that's kind of close to my heart, which is the right to repair and yeah. um, you know I, I think make a really interesting point just about how you know if we if we really want to kind of commit to this notion of circular economy, um, we might want to really improve our ability to service and repair uh, the the things that we have made. You, you know you're kind of you know we've we've become so much of a throwaway culture. You know oh it's. Just, cheaper to buy a new one, don't bother repairing it. I mean, you kind of are at the at the receiving end of all that. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on on the push for right to repair um, and, you know, how, how you think it would change things if we had a more robust kind of repair economy. Oh, it's it would be, it's the right to repair would be like saying, should we have the right to repair our car? Repairing our cars is as is, is American as mom, apple pie, and the girl back home. Um, so that industry has been doing it forever and is legacy proof that it works. And there's a huge, wonderful ecosystem of used car parts and new car parts, 
being put into used cars and used cars being a, a great market. Same thing goes for electronics. I mean, if we're all comfortable with that industry and, 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 the, and the vibrancy of it, and we're all comfortable with the shared economy with our scooters now and Airbnb and Uber and Lyft, uh, there's no reason that we can't share our old electronics. Electronics are built more uh, impressively than ever before. The great OEMs have done an amazing job of innovation, making them smaller and more powerful than ever before. And there's no reason they need to be um, uh, thrown into a shredder after a six months or a year of use when other people can absolutely enjoy them or repair them and use them for years to come. So I think the great people like that as a common friend of ours, like Kyle Weens over the founder of iFixit, I think the right to repair is going to, is here to stay, is going to be a growing trend. And it's going to be, again, one of the, one of the slices of the piece of the pie and solutions that helps move us from the linear economy to the circular economy, which is going to be a generational shift, but it's a shift that's uh, well overdue and right to repair is going to be a great part of that shift for everything that, that goes for um, uh, other materials as well. But if it's okay in the car industry, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's going to be okay in the electronics industry as well. And everyone's going to win ultimately because who doesn't agree that we should be drinking cleaner water, breathing cleaner air, and leaving the world just a little bit of a better place than the way we found it. I mean, you deal with a lot of these um, large corporations and device makers and so on. You know, you, you mentioned Tesla's a, a, a customer. Yeah. Um, do you think that they get it with repair? Because certainly, at least officially, you know, many of them are not pro-repair, whether it's cybersecurity or, you know, intellectual property protection and, you know, copyright. Or You're right. And they all have to take different stands politically and lobbyists and stuff like that. But let me tell you the great news about the biggest OEMs. We, we handle most every, every manufacturer you could think of, big and small brands, but we handle them and we, and we recycle for them. And here's the great news. Many of them, I mean, I'm talking about over a dozen and a half of them over the last four years have started requesting the opportunity to come in and tour our facilities, send their engineers to spend days, sometimes longer in our facilities to see the sticking points to recycling responsibly and trying to inform themselves on how to create more recyclable, from an engineering perspective, more recyclable electronics so they can make electronics that are one, more recyclable. Number two, they've also requested and started buying from us because we have direct to smelter relationships. Many smelters are investors in our company. And so we have a very collapsed and radically transparent downstream. So for instance, Alcoa is an investor in our company. They get our aluminum. Uh, uh, LS Nico Copper, which is the LG family out of South Korea, is an investor in our company. They get our printed circuit boards, which means they get our copper, they get our lead, silver, gold, and palladium. Many of our OEM clients, and the same goes for plastic. We don't have an investor from the plastic space, but we have very direct partnerships with the plastic recyclers in our space. They have asked directly for us to sell back a portion of our metals, a portion of our plastics to their chosen smelters so they could buy these materials back 
make put it into their new to into their new electronics and then they could talk to their client base and constituents which we know now vote with their pocketbook and they could say hey we make our printers out of 40% recycled plastic we make our new cell phones out of 30% recycled uh uh metals and that's the new trend that's coming so i think they're very much into it i think they're very forward thinking and i think they like us want to make the world a better and greener place as well okay so final question what can um, individuals and also companies do to um, reduce <clears throat> their risk of you know obviously being a victim of of data theft uh, via uh, their discarded uh, electronics and final, final question, um, you know, what do you, what do you see happening in the next few years on, on the ERI front and in, uh, you know, electronics waste recycling? Yeah, two great questions. One is for all the, 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 the chief information security officers and chief technology officers, they've got to learn more about this. They think they had it covered by getting in, by bringing in a great software company or software solution in cyber. The other side of the coin is if they're not, if they're old electronics, are being misappropriated or being mishandled in any way, shape, or form. They're leaving the back door for disaster open to, to themselves. And this goes for anybody with their own family or for a small or large corporation or, of course, big publicly traded corporations. We're all in danger unless we take care. What does take care mean? There's three key certifications that uh, anybody should look for before they choose a, a brand to handle their old electronics. The two environmental ones uh, are eStewards and R2. You need one of the two. We're both at all of our locations, but you just need one of those two to feel good environmentally that the right thing is being done with the electronics from an environmental standard. The other is NAID. Uh, I would not use in this environment that we live in, in a cyber-centric world that we live in, that's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, I would make sure that any recycler that you choose or any hardware data destruction company you choose is NAID certified at the locations that you're going to be leveraging and using. And NAID, uh, it's easy to find out if those companies are on the NAID list. You just look up uh, NAID.org and uh, you can look up what companies are on the list because any company can put on their website that they're certified, but you got to go back to the certifying bodies themselves and make sure they're certified. GDPR is for real. State laws are real that are coming and managing the data and, the, and, and staying compliant with not only the goodwill of the, of the organization or your family that you're protecting, but also the people that are affected by that information uh, is, is really an important business. And we're just honored and, and I'm thankful for you to do this interview, Paul, because getting the word out, educating is really three quarters of the battle. Doing our work, we've got that down now. Three quarters of the battle is the education and, 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 and getting the word out there. So I'm very grateful for you for having me on your podcast today. Well, that's a pleasure, John uh, Shigarian. Thank you so much, uh, VRI. Thanks so much for coming on and talking to us on Security Ledger Podcast. John Shigarian is the CEO and chairman of ERI Electronics Recycling International. He was here talking to us about his new book, The Insecurity of Everything, which talks about hardware, e-waste, and data security.